and we are back. I am Eric. He is Paul. We are the Fat Packs, and this is Beckett Radio. What's up, Paul? Saw, dude. Saw, dude. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good, man. You doing real I'm good? Doing good. I switched up Monster to Rockstar this morning. Okay. And I feel like a rock star. You feel like a rock star? Yeah, man. I'm doing all right. You know who else are some rock stars out there? Who's that? All our fat packers and fat packer. That's what's up, guys. How you guys doing? <laughs> That's good stuff right there. I'm man. getting it in every week. It's, every week. That, hey, that works, man. It's gonna happen. I can't not let it pass now since they they've they've dubbed themselves. So, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good day, wherever you are. I hope that uh, this finds you well. I hope you're having a good day and uh, just uh, fat packing it up. Is that Correct. A thing? Is Absolutely. That a thing? I guess that is. Eh? It's a fat packer thing. Yeah. Okay. So I threw the A in for uh, a. For our Canadian friends. Hey, don't you know? Up I there. Know. Don't you know. <laughs> up there in the... Hey, look, guys. We're going to... I don't know if anybody has, but tweet at us if you're coming to the National. Yeah. Man, let us know you're going to be there. We, uh, I've sent out a couple of feelers, and I know that you, you're you pretty well connected with some people that are going to be there. Yeah. I don't know anybody that wants to come hang out with me. Let's just fine. You know, you don't have to come hang out with me. It's you, all right. You don't have to. It's all right. I mean, I'll, I'll go to the game by myself. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. No, I'm going to the game. I'm going to the game. There's no doubt. Cubs, White Sox? Yeah. Heck yeah, uh, I'm going to the game. At, at well, what is it? U.S. Cellular now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's happening. We're trying to put that together for you guys. Um, somebody asked, I forget, I'm, it's slipped my mind, I'm sorry, but somebody asked me for a ticket price. Uh, I don't have a ticket price yet because we have no participants yet. So Zero. I can't tell you a ticket price. Right now, full price. That's your ticket price. <laughs> <laughs> whatever funny. whatever full price is, that's it. That's uh, what it is. Man, the National is right around the corner. It's like just what three weeks away for we're starting to have like meetings and stuff it's getting real <laughs> it's getting real real uh, can't can't uh let let it go by unpre- unprepped for the national man we got to get all prepped up and no get our t-shirts out and our yeah. our uh and our we can't even talk about it yet because we don't know it's official yeah yet. we don't know it's official we're gonna have some some stuff man that we have some, to, some cooler giveaways that you uh Young kids and maybe some older kids might like. Yeah, man, I want one. I want one too. Heck They're pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, my man. my son wants one. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure both of your sons want one. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, absolutely, that's uh, that's uh, hopefully going to happen. And uh, just figuring out pricing, t-shirts. We're figuring out pricing. Uh, going to have those. Uh, excited to be a part of the national with. Uh, Go GTS live on the on the main stage there. They're they're hosting. They're emceeing the national, and uh, we're gonna do a show with them from so cool, man. from the national. That's so cool. They, I know they got the reinforced beams and everything. Yeah, put all that the under there now. They heard we yeah. were coming. Uh, yep, yep. They brought the backhoe in and, and fixed it all up for <laughs> us. So uh, also excited to get up on the, the breaker stage and sit with Chris Keller with our guy from uh, Top Shelf Breaks uh, in his backyard, so to speak. For yeah, for sure. Yeah. And. Uh, Open up some wax there. Hopefully that Paul and I. Well, you know, you, you watch Boxbusters. Hopefully you, you see Paul and I doing on Boxbusters. We yeah, know man, what we're we doing. Do all right. You we know, do all right. I did all right yesterday. I yeah. pulled a monster yesterday. We man. had some fun yesterday. We huh? did, man. Uh, what did we open? We opened uh, Spectra. Yeah. Elite and uh, Torque. Torque. Yeah. All of which are new. This all week. of which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. So yeah. why, don't, why don't you do that? Talk all right, about let's it. do it now. All right. Spectra basketball hit, man, and that stuff, man. Spectra's so pretty. Yeah. Can I say that about a card? It's just pretty. It's like. It's like prism on crack. Just it like. is, <laughs> it, with some thickness to it. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's awesome, man. Um, open a box. Uh, we opened one yesterday. Uh, Ten cards, seven hits. Uh, about 320, 325 a box. Um, definitely delivered. Our box yesterday definitely delivered. We pulled that uh, Ingram RPA, right? 
Brandon Ingram RPA. Yeah, sure did. We pulled a, um, a Bryce Johnson. Uh, I think it was RPA as well. It was RPA. Was uh, the green neon green parallel. Neon green versions, yeah. which I think is out of five. I think the oh, neon wow. greens are out of five. So that's a huge hit. Wow. Um, yeah, that was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. So that's a good product. Get out there and get some of that. Uh, elite football hit. I was impressed, man. We didn't hit anything big, but the stuff got some nice cards in it. Uh, elite football, you get two autos, one mem, about one twenty a box. Um, the pen pal autographs are in there; they're on card, which mm-hmm. is sweet. Uh, and they also have the the passing of the torch, or is that what? Yeah, passing the torch. Yeah, dude, they got that Emmett and Zeke card. Sure, you know, I mean, it's numbered to like five, I think. To, Ten. To, to coin a phrase, I wanted to say this yesterday during the break, but I couldn't do it. Uh, that. Passing the torch checklist is the tits. I like that. <laughs> that's funny. That is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I, I saw that somewhere. It was hilarious. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's that's true though. But that that's such a good checklist and such a good card, man. If you're lucky enough to get one of those, um, that's awesome. And then torque racing, man. I was surprised. I'm gonna be honest. All okay. Right? I didn't like torque last year at all. Right. I felt like it just kind of crumbled in my hands or something. It was kind of rushed. Yeah. This stuff, man. Good stock on the cards. One twenty a box. Five hits. Uh, I think we got two or three autos, and the other ones are the the mem cards, um, fire suits and stuff like that. We pulled a monster. We pulled the Jimmy Johnson uh, jersey auto yesterday at I think at forty nine or fifty something like that. Sure. Um, but I just uh, even if we didn't get the Johnson, I was definitely impressed with the product. So um, definitely liking that. Um, and tomorrow Friday, mm-hmm. tier one uh, tops tier one drops. So that's a big product. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah tops that. tier one baseball drops. Um, it's about 120 a box as well. Uh, one pack, three cards. Okay. So, you know, it's high risk, high reward. And uh, you get two autos and one relic. And um, they did it upright. I saw some of the designs uh, on the website, and the stuff looks pretty pretty solid. I have, I didn't even realize that that was coming out yet. Yeah. That's yep, awesome. Tomorrow, so you're one, huh? Tomorrow, yep. Okay. Yep, yep. There so you that, go. That's what I got going on, man. That's all you got. I got new. I got one new product price, and that's only because Mr. Fleischer sent it to me right before we came in here. Um, <laughs> what do you got? Just uh, top series two, series two baseball. That's a monster, though. Been it's it's priced and updated for you. Um, I don't know a lot of. I didn't break series one or series two this year. Mm-hmm. Not that I typically do, but I know that on the Beckett Marketplace, like the week of those releases, we sell a ton of that stuff. <sighs> ton, man. I mean, those guys get breaking 10, 20 cases of yeah. that stuff, and it's a set collector set, man. And it it it, it gives me that uh, that warm fuzzy feeling that people are still out there building those sets and collecting, and and you know that's kind of what this whole hobby was built on. So yeah, it's a it gives me that warm fuzzy feeling every time I see that product come out. It it, it really is, and I think that right now is a good time to talk about something that you brought up that you wanted to to, to speak on a little bit was was base cards and just this kind of like revolution and in, in base card collecting that's going on. It's amazing. Is it is it is it fair to call it collecting or is it? Just like flipping, because that's really what I'm seeing it as. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know where where I fall on the flipping or slash collecting of that part, but it's all about. I think you know. I think the hobby's maybe finally just dis- being able to distinguish what a rookie card is. Okay. And people are starting to put emphasis now on those rookie cards. So when the guy finally gets a rookie card, even after four or five years of having cards, he gets sure. that RC card. They're really starting. That's what people want now. All right. You know, because we got we found that with Trout, the Trout update. That's mm-hmm. always been like a, a eighty to one hundred and twenty dollar card somewhere in that range. Um, all of a sudden, Harper, the, the two thousand twelve update card. Mm-hmm. I think it's two thousand twelve or two thousand no two thousand twelve. That was like a ten fifteen dollar card. Boom! It's like sixty eighty bucks now. Wow. You know, just out of nowhere. Now he's having a good season, but that just totally took off. Uh, we saw it in basketball with Curry. You know, his base card going all the way up the way it did. 
All um, the way up. And LeBron has now done the same thing. And now you guys got like Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. who that card was two, three bucks. Now they're fifteen dollars, just the base rookie card. That's crazy. From tops, you know. So I think people, for whatever reason, they're just they're gravitating towards that. Um, we're also obviously seeing it with Judge and Bellinger right now. Those prices are just astronomical. Sure. For what they're going for, I mean, usually you know you get a Bowman Chrome card or whatever comes out, it's a couple bucks, five bucks, ten bucks. These things are twenty, twenty-five dollars a piece, and there's no end in sight, you know. For for their for the the ceiling, you know what right. I mean. It just keeps on going. As Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof. It is, <laughs> it is, and they are right now just just booming, and um, it's kind of fun to see. You know, everybody's been chasing the shiny, mm-hmm. and the jersey, sure, and the autograph, and now they're going back to base, and uh, I kind of like it. Does this does this bode the same for like say Ben Simmons? Well, I mean, obviously that that happened with the Panini products that right. came out with the no autographs, right? I thought, but and, and I'm I'm dumb to this here, so let me let me know. Is it? I thought those were like the the shiny stuff, the prisms and everything like that. So just the base base Ben but Simmons. But the card. but the base Ben Simmons cards are all like twenty twenty five dollars. Now they're not going up quite as much as they as if he was playing. I okay. think if he would have come in and played and even had an average year, he didn't even rookie of the year. I think his stuff would definitely continue to go up. Sure. Now I haven't seen much of a push with Brogdon. Um, just because I think it was such a such a hodgepodge of people, you know, sure. um, you know, talking about MB trying to get the rookie of the year. Sark Sark was up there. Brogdon got it. Brogdon was hurt. MB, you know, there wasn't a clear cut person. So I don't think there's anybody right now driving the prices. But I think if Ben Simmons comes out next year, plays what, you know, to his potential, you know, you'll have the LeVar balls and the and the or, um, the Lonzo ball. I'm sorry. Lonzo balls. And you have those guys. And I think you will see the base cards actually getting a little more. Um, a little bit more notice now. You think so? I think so. Uh, another name that you mentioned earlier in the week to me was Derek Carr. It was another example yes. of this. And he, like, the other guys I can see because they're in season. Even with basketball just ending, it was just in season. But Derek Carr is not in season. He signs a contract and his base cards go rocketing through the... Yeah, his, his, uh, his chromes are starting to really go up. Um, now, some of the parallels on that, you know, have really taken off on that. But, yeah, even his tops and his chromes are really starting to... Uh, to make a move, which usually just doesn't happen. You know, usually somebody, you know, they get hot, they sign a big contract. It's always the autographs or the jerseys or the number to tens or whatever it is. But, um, you know, maybe that just means like the, the, I don't even know if this is the right way to put it, but like, let me the little guys getting in it. You know what I yeah. mean? He's trying to jump on and get that 10, 15, $20 card to have something. Um, Cause you know, a lot of people can't afford those. You know, he's got the, the contenders autos that are four or $500 or whatever. And that's not an everyday collector. So, um, Maybe that's just maybe that's how the hobby's uh, kind of uh, correcting itself. Maybe so. It's interesting, definitely. I'm seeing it. I think you're seeing it more, you know, with the sports you do with you know football, and then Brian with baseball talking about it daily. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Brian's like Paul. Yeah. come into my office, please. I always think I'm in trouble. Yeah, but he's just asking me who what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> and then, but I I've seen it. I've seen it in hockey, but it's always been that way in hockey for me because especially the last two seasons if not three but um upper deck has been the rookie card you know and everybody's chasing that young gun so it's not this huge thing with me when you buy you go into a season like this season you expect austin matthews to be a hundred dollar card rookie you know right and it was and now you know it's it's more than that i guess the difference with hockey is with those young guns not to take away from them but they're short printed you know, we're, a lot of this stuff, allegedly, but, <laughs> you know, you get them, what, one every four or five, six packs, yeah. something like that, however it may. But 
these base cards, man, they're not short printed at all. Correct. They're just correct by the Googles and Googles. Correct. So it's kind of a, it's kind of makes a, an interesting phenomenon right now. I want to correct somebody on the Young Guns. This has been months, and I've been thinking about this. He was like, "Why are you guys bidding this this insert rookie up?" And he clearly didn't know what a young gun was <laughs> so whoever that was it's been months ago and i don't know why i just bring it up now but young guns are actually part of the base set sir so uh, congratulations for that they're a huge part of the they're base set. huge part they're like 50 some odd cards part of the base set just really hard they're not really hard to get you like they're one in six packs but you know that's a short print i guess per se yeah. um but they're not an insert uh that, that's a, something i learned quickly here at beckett was the difference the difference between an insert, a subset, and all this other mess like refractor, yeah, prism, geez. parallel. Collecting is not straightforward. <laughs> it's not. I want to see that collecting for dummies book because right. I, I probably couldn't follow it. We probably wrote it here <laughs> at Beckett at some point. <laughs> we probably did. We put it in a magazine and we put it out for sale. Exactly. So. All right. So uh, guys, base cards. Go check them out, man. Uh, all the guys that Paul mentioned: Bellinger, Judge, uh, maybe Brogdon. Uh, Embiid to some 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 effect possibly Derek Carr, um, just who's next? You know who's yeah. the next guy to get hot? You know who's the next Arenado? Or the exactly. cards are just Arenado. gonna like, you know, go up five six ten times? Yeah, you know, and buy them now. Buy them, <laughs> buy them now. right now before they're five hundred dollars. You know, like that Steph Curry did a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was, that was insane, insane, insane in the membrane. All right, guys, uh, let's set up the rest of the show. We have two interviews for you. One with uh, the the first one coming up is going to be with Tim from Signatures from Signatures for Soldiers, a cause that's near and dear to my heart. Being a veteran myself, he, I'm, I, if you listen to the show or you follow us on Twitter, you you probably know what Signatures for Soldiers Soldiers is. But in case you don't, you've been living under a rock or something like that, man. He's got this great cause that he get, he sells autographs for, and all the money gets donated to help veterans. So, that's awesome. Um, this is not our officially our Fourth of July show, even though we're you know we're just a week out. Uh, this is the unofficial official Fourth of July show for us here at Becky Radio. So we wanted to have some kind of uh, patriotic themed guest, and this one he was the first one on my list. He was, he was the first person I asked. He said yes. So we've been planning this for a month, and I, I can't wait to talk to him a little bit later. And then uh, the interview after that is absolutely. Hands down, my favorite interview that I've ever done on Beckett Radio. Yeah, it's a, it's a do not miss. Yes, it is a do not a do not miss. Um, Marty Appel, I, I you've heard me talk about him for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I, I to be honest with you, I was I was I had high hopes, and he met every one of those hopes. Absolutely, he just a freaking mind on him that you just that you just, this is a, he's a baseball savant. He is, he, and he's a Yankee savant. And I know that's the evil empire, and no one cares about the Yankees, and yada, yada, yada. But right now, with Aaron Judge as hot as he is, and the Yankees being relevant. They're again, on the front uh, page of everything. Um, even though Boston has snuck into first place there, yeah, they're still very Nobody relevant. even knows yeah. that Boston's in first exactly. place. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this interview was great. He's, he's a baseball historian. He's worked for the Hall of Fame. He's worked, uh, you know, in tennis leagues and, and football and the Olympics and all that is secondary to baseball in his mind. And d did you mention he wrote 24 books? 24 books. And, and he's not done. Yeah, he's not done. Countless magazine articles and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's the second interview coming up. 
stick around for that one. I promise you, you'll you'll enjoy it because Paul and I were just sitting here, just awestruck, kind of looking at each other as we we're, as we were uh, talking with him yesterday. All that's coming up, and then uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of the animal kingdom and, and Beckett whatevs as we found a detective who, uh, well. It was a foul situation. It was a very foul. It was very foul. So, <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. This is Doug from MojoBreak.com, and you're listening to Beckett Radio. Shoo came up. All right, guys. We're back after that quick break. Uh, hope you enjoyed your break time. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I, you did. I enjoyed my break time. You did. So uh, we're back with... Well, it's the second time on the show, I believe, and we're just happy to have him here. Again, this is not our, our actual 4th of July show, but I did the week prior want to have a, have a military-themed uh, guest on the show. And my first, my first get and my first uh, lead was, was Tim from Signature for Soldiers, and I reached out to him. He, he immediately said yes, and he's joining us on the phone now. How are you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Man, we're just happy to have you back here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I didn't get a chance to be a part of the first interview because I'm new to the, the radio show here. But uh, not new. I've been here for a year. But, <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about you, so I'm super pumped about this interview. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show again, and I can't thank you guys enough for, for the support. It's, it's been tremendous, and I greatly appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, sir. So just for the benefit of the doubt, who, who those who might not listen to the show or are tuning in for the first time, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been involved in, in the hobby? Sure. Um, so I am, um, by day, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, been doing that for 20 years and have been um, primarily working with doing counseling for um, veterans and, and now do counseling with combat veterans specifically. Um, so kind of, you know, supporting the military and supporting military veterans is, is really a passion of mine. Um, as far as being involved in the hobby, God, I've been involved ever since I can remember. I mean, I remember being, you know, six years old and uh, collecting cards and, you know, putting rubber bands around them and sticking them in a the shoebox and sliding them under my bed. And <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so pretty much all my life I've been involved with the hobby and, and doing that. So, very cool, very cool. Um, so you 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 uh, you do your counseling and do that. So, but you have this program called Signatures for Soldiers. So, what was how did that become about? What was the inspiration behind that? Sure, sure. So, um, God, back in 2007, my wife and I moved to North Carolina, and, and we met a gentleman who started up was starting up a nonprofit called Military Missions in Action, and, um, and we got involved with them doing volunteer work, and then um, I served on the board of directors, and now my wife and I serve on the advisory board. Um, so we've been involved with Military Missions in Action ever since um, they, they got up and running in 2008. And about three years ago, my job moved me from North Carolina to um, – to Georgia, which is where I am currently, and I was really one night just really thinking about how I can continue to support military missions in action and, and the great work that they do, and, you know, I'm sitting there just watching Sports Center and, and just kind of letting my mind wander and, and think about that, and I, I started to think about 
you know, I can remember being a kid and, and collecting all these cards and memorabilia and, and, and thinking to myself, even as a kid, you know, when my time on earth is done, you know, I want to donate my collection to a charity and, and let them raise money with it. And, and I started to think, why wait until I die? So I started, what I started to do was um, started to reach out to um, using my own collection, grabbing cards, reaching out to players, asking them if they would sign some cards with knowing that my intent was to sell them and, and 100% of the money would go to military missions in action. And, and the response rate right from the start was, you know, just absolutely incredible. Then it really got me thinking that, you know, kind of my goal of raising a couple hundred dollars for them would would be easily surpassed and, and that I could really kind of make a go of this as far as a, an ongoing volunteer effort to just raise money for military missions in action because every nonprofit can use them. So that's really kind of how the whole thing got started. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, my inspiration, like I said, I mean, that's, you know, supporting the active military and supporting veterans is is what I do day in and day out. It's very near and dear to my heart. It's it's probably my biggest passion in life behind my family. And, um, you know, that that's really kind of the Cliff Notes version. That's an amazing, it's an amazing version. So, yeah, man, I'm going to start letting my mind wander. Maybe I'll come up with something Come up with cool. something good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, how, how much to date has SFS raised for support uh, with your mission that you got going on here? Sure. Uh, so I, I really started going with this thing in November of 2014, and um, you know, just for just for kicks, I kind of was like, oh, let me keep track of how much money I'm raising. And um, like I said, my original goal was to raise about three or five hundred dollars, and I, I quickly surpassed that, and then then made the goal of you know three thousand dollars because that's the that's the general costs for materials to build a wheelchair ramp for a disabled veteran um, and quickly pass that. So now I really don't have a monetary goal. Um, just last month, I passed $20,000 raised for military missions in action with every single penny of that going to military missions in action. I, I don't keep a dime of it. So, so it's, been, it, it, it's really exceeded my expectations and anything I could have dreamed of. That's awesome. That is fantastic, man. Just amazing yeah. that that you're able to to do that and that people get behind you and that's awesome, man. So what other what other programs do you um do those funds go to to support veterans? So military missions in action has a couple different um, programs that they do. Uh, the, the primary program that they have is they do home repairs and home remodels for disabled veterans, and that can be everything from. Um, building a wheelchair ramp to make it easy, more easily accessible for the veteran to get in and out of their home, to um, redoing flooring so it makes makes it easier for them to get around the house, widening doorways, revamping um, bathrooms so it's more handicap accessible, things like that. So they're, they're so that's the primary. But then they also do um, different programs such as. Uh, helping support disabled children of active duty military um, because their insurance doesn't cover things like wheelchair ramps, widening doorways, things like that that a, a disabled child would need. So they do that as well. They also um, support um, homeless veterans 
through um, stand downs throughout North Carolina where, you know, they show up with um, new clothing and hygiene products to give out to homeless veterans and, and low income veterans. Um, they've also gotten involved with um, a couple of VA programs that house homeless veterans. Um, and what they do is a lot of these veterans will often only have clothes on their back or, um, you know, bags that they're carrying. So, so yes, they're in an apartment or a new or in a house, but they don't have anything to furnish it and really make it a home. So what Military Missions in Action does is they'll show up with basically everything a veteran needs to furnish that home from, um, you know, the furniture to linens to pots and pans, um, flatware, um, even show up with food and gift cards for um, for um, stores for them to buy food ongoing so that this way the place can really become a home for that veteran. Um, so those, those are kind of the big things. And then the other thing that they do is they support active military who are currently deployed by sending care packages to them overseas, um, just letting them know that, you know, there's folks back home who are supporting them and thinking about them and, and praying for their safe return. Um, so those, those are the programs that the money goes to, um, you know, and, and I really haven't talked with MMIA about earmarking the money for specific programs yet. I've just kind of said to them, you, you guys put the money where the greatest need is. Um, and, and they've done a wonderful job with that. That's totally fine. I mean, everything you've named is, is something as a veteran myself. I know that those are all really important needs and causes. So uh, I think where the money is going and not, not fish, you know, tying it in saying that it has to go here or there is the best way to handle it because trusting them trusting your partner and knowing that they're going to do what's best with the money it's what's best for the veterans is is really a good way to go about it for sure because i would imagine things change yeah. needs change all the time for for different things so um absolutely absolutely yeah and, and one of the things that i really like about military missions in action is, is they're really good with um, managing their funds um you know annually their administrative costs are um, under 10%. They usually hover right around 5 to 6%. And if you know anything about national nonprofits, um, the average for a national nonprofit is 20% for their administrative costs. That's amazing. So, That's really good. So, so basically, every dollar that's raised, you know, 95 cents is going towards one of those programs. That's um, awesome. So, I mean, you, you, you know, it, that, that's why I just tell them, I'm like, hey, you take the money and, and you put it where it needs to go. That's really good. So let's talk about some of your teammates. I was looking at your website, and you have some teammates there. Uh, all of them are awesome. Sports Threads, Sports Collectors Daily, DCR, uh, a few others. Um, how are these guys partnered with uh, SFS, and what are they doing to contribute? So a lot of the a lot of my teammates on the website basically what they do is you know they've just really been helping with getting getting the word out about signatures for soldiers, um, whether it's been having me on the radio show um, and I do need to update my my website and, and get you all on there as well, um, as well as um, you know a lot of folks have written articles or for their blog or things like that and i use a lot of that to just kind of promote what i'm doing um just to get the word out um some of the other some of the other folks have um 
you know, just offered support in terms of either donating items to help me do what I do or donating items to Military Missions in Action to help them do what they do. Um, Derek Cope Racing has um, been so far the only um, NASCAR team that's had um, signatures for soldiers and, and military missions in action on their car um, that had the logo on the car for a couple races. Um, so things like that. And then a couple other, you know, some of the others, you know, um, the founders of Sports Threads, um, what they've done is they've put me in touch with some other athletes who have um, been willing to sign items for for this cause and, and things like that. So, you know, that, that's where a lot of those those folks kind of come into play and, and just help support me and, you know, kind of help do some support in terms of just helping me get the word out and, and connecting me with other folks. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. Definitely get us on that list, man. We will definitely do whatever we need to, <laughs> to, uh, to help you I out will. with that. I will. I, yeah. Like I said, I, I've, I haven't had a whole lot of time to update it, so I need to update it. There's a lot of updates I got to make to it. So not so a I'll problem. Definitely get you all on there. Awesome. All right, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk cards for for a few minutes here. So where do you where do you get everything? Are you still taking stuff from your personal collection? Are they being donated to you? Um, you know, how, how's that all working out? So it originally started with me just using my using my own collection that I collected as a kid, and um, you know, contacting players, and um, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll say to the players, "This is what I want to do." And, you know, and then asking them, hey, you know, do you have a limit on how much I should send? And, you know, some guys will be like, yeah, you know, send me 10 cards, send me 20 cards. Some guys are like, you know, send me whatever you want. Um, so, in, and as it, as it kind of started growing, I started getting in touch with guys that I didn't have cards for. And, and um, all the expenses are out of my pocket. I, I don't ask for any expense, any money from anybody to, to do this. So I was like, okay, this is going to get pricey by doing this. So I started reaching out to some friends of mine who I know collect and said, Hey, you know, if you got cards of this guy, you know, I, you know, I'd appreciate you donating them. So they started doing that. And, and just as this thing has grown, um, you know, cards come from lots of different places. Um, they still come out of my own collection. They come from friends that I have in the hobby and, and other folks. Um, as I've built my um, social media presence on Facebook and Twitter, you know, I've had have people that follow me there that will donate um, various items um, where they, you know, donate cards or um other signed items and just hey Tim, go ahead sell it and, and make money for what you're doing love what you're doing and so that's really kind of where a lot of it comes from i still there's still guys that I, I can't you know i don't have cards for so i'll go out and i'll buy buy their cards with my own money um so so you know so it's a lot of a lot of things like that you know when when my wife and I are out and about, you know, I may pick up a pack of cards or if I see a, a good deal for somebody selling their collection, um, I'll, I'll purchase that um, and then go through it and pick, you know, pick out what I'm using and what I can, what I can make money with and things like that. So, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different areas that it comes from. Um, you know, I've had some employees, I've had an employee who, um, is associated with tops who donated cards, um, just you know, random cards that I've gone gone through and been able to use, and 
Um, like I said, there's just a lot of a lot of people that are supporting this. It's been it's been fantastic. That's awesome. So if say our listeners want to make a donation, so they, the best way to do that is to just possibly contact you through social media and you get them hooked up with an address. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely contact. You know, I've, I've got my Twitter handle, which is at SIGS, S-I-G-S, the number four, soldiers. Um, that, so that's my Twitter handle. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, it's uh, Signatures. If you search Signatures for Soldiers or Facebook.com slash backslash uh, Signatures for Soldiers, it'll come up that way. Um, and then signatures for soldiers written out at yahoo.com um, is my is my email address. Those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me, um, you know, and then kind of being able to talk about what folks are looking to donate and, and what I can use. And then I'll provide them with my address and we go from there. There you go. OK, so uh, let's talk about in your experience so far uh, doing this. Who has a, who, I'm sorry. Wow. Let me let me slow down. Who's been the best signer for you? Let me let's put it that way. Who who's been like, yeah, let's do this, no problems, whatever you need. Let's let's get this done. Oh God, uh, you have enough time for me to talk <laughs> to run down the entire list. <laughs> you know, it, got, folks have asked me this a, a number of times where they've said, you know, who who's been the nicest guy? Who's been who's been your biggest supporter? And and it's really hard to kind of pinpoint one or two guys because it, it's just. The thing I always tell folks is what's been really cool about this whole experience for me is that guys I grew up watching and idolizing as great baseball players, I've gotten to know, and, and what I've, what's been absolutely amazing is to find out they're even better human beings than they were baseball players. Um, you know, there, there's been some surprises like Jim Lairitz. You know, everybody knows Jim Lairitz because of his, his you know, great home run with the Yankees. And, and you know, here's a guy I'm like, okay, you know, pretty big name, probably not, you know, probably going to ignore me, not going to jump in on this. He jumped in right away, and, and he's been fantastic the whole the whole time. And, and he's basically told me, Tim, you, whatever you need me to sign to help with your cause, I'm willing to do it. Um, another guy, Mitch Williams, um, you know, you know, one of the great relief pitchers of, of the 90s. And, again, same type of thing. I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, he probably won't. Jumped on board right away. And, and you know, I've had some discussions with him and said, hey, you know, how much are you willing to sign? He said, Tim, he said, for what you're doing, I will sign until my hand falls off, and then I'll use my other hand. And, you know, he, so – so there's been a lot of guys like that that have just been absolutely fantastic about the whole thing. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, you know, and those are just two examples. I mean, you know, I've got got, you know, got some guys who are, you know, pitching, pitching or playing in the minor leagues and, and they've been great about it. Um, you know, Jacob Faria, who's um, one of the Tampa Bay Rays bright young stars who just recently got called up and has been pitching lights out with the Rays. You know, he and his fiance have been absolutely fantastic with the whole thing. I mean, you know, they you know, last year I had an opportunity to meet Jacob and, and he gave me a pair of game use cleats that raised a ton of money. Um, Lance McCullers Jr., who's pitching for the Astros, same type of thing. You know, he, he's he's been he's donated 
cleats and hats, and he signed for me. Um, I'm just trying to think who else is real, um, you know, the guy who's catching in the um, in the Brave system, uh, Sal Giardina. Um, he's donated a couple of game used cleats. Um, uh, God, uh, Mitch Hanninger, who's playing for um, the Seattle Mariners, he donated a game used bat. Um, Tyler Motter, who's also playing for um, the Seattle Mariners, donated a game used bat. So, I mean, it's just been, you know, again, that's why I said, how much time do you got? Because you know, I could just go on and on and on. I mean, and, and I know I'm missing folks, and, and I apologize for that, but there's just been so many guys that have been so generous with their time and, and things like that, that it's just been, there are days I just sit and I, I literally cry tears of joy. That's fantastic, man. Like, this is such a cool thing to see all these guys jumping on board and your passion and your heart for this. And, man, this is kind of cool. It really I'm, is. I'm glad to kind of be a part of this it interview really and be a part of this. Uh, what's going on, man? That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> now, on your you have on your website, um, you do a, it looks like you're doing baseball and NASCAR. that have a bunch of categories on there. Are there hopes to add, you know, other sports, maybe celebrities, things like that to your cause? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I originally started off with baseball just because that's what I collected as a kid, and, and that's what, you know, 99.9% of my collection is. Um, so, you know, and it's just kind of been one of those things where, you know, one one player will introduce me to another, and it's just kind of snowballs like that. Um, NASCAR drivers have always been really great about supporting the military and supporting veterans. Um you know, I've I've just recently gotten um, support from Jamal Anderson, who's running back for the Falcons. Um, so I, I've got some stuff out to him that he's going to sign for me. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm always open to other sports and other other areas. Um, you know, I've had <clears throat> had a lot of collectors who have donated um, signed NBA stuff. Um, so, yeah, so I'm always looking to kind of expand it and grow it and, and see who else would be interested. Good deal, man. It's amazing. Good deal. <laughs> I, I don't see anybody who would say no. I mean, well, why would they? <laughs> yeah, 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 that would I be just... that would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right, what else you got over there, Eric? So I just had one last question for you, sir. Um, what are your goals for SFS over the next year? What, what do you, over the next calendar year, what do you, what do you hope to see to happen with with the organization? Um, you, you know, I, I guess I'm just kind of looking to continue to expand it with you know everything that I've been doing. Um, just continuing to get the word out. Um, you know, one of, one of my goals um, was almost realized this year, and, and I'm definitely going to make it happen next year. But is to get to the national. Um, to kind of set up there and just kind of make folks more aware of what I'm what I'm doing and, and see what support I can get. Um, you know, I know I've had I've had some folks who have generously offered to have me as their guest at this year's national in Chicago, but unfortunately, because of some personal stuff going on right now, I'm not going to be able to make that happen. But um, they've basically given me an open invitation for next year. Um, so I, I will definitely have a lot of time to go ahead and plan that and uh, plan to be at the national in Cleveland next year. So, so that, that's definitely, 
probably goal number one as far as helping to get the name out there. Um, other goals, you know, I'm, I'm not, I really don't have anything specific planned. You know, I just want to continue to have fun doing this and um, just continue to help raise money for a great cause. Uh, you know, I, I've, I tell people, you know, I used to collect cards and memorabilia, and now I, I collect people. You know, I collect relationships, and, and that's really what this has come down to. I mean, I've been able to develop some, some really great relationships with players and, and with collectors in the hobby, and it, it's been absolutely great and wonderful. Um, you know, I'm going to – I have uh, some T-shirts that I'm getting made up, so I'll have those available soon. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had a, a guy who – designed my logo for me and he's designed uh, the t-shirts um this guy dan abrams who runs at athlete logos um he's on twitter as well um he does some great great work so if you're ever looking for any any graphic work he's definitely the guy to do it but you know he designed my signatures for soldiers logo and and has designed the shirts that are coming out so i'm excited about those um you know, and, and I think probably the other thing I'd like to try to do is um, see if I can't try to get some support from some teams, you know, whether it's um, on the major league level or minor league level, um, you know, get some get some teams involved in this to help kind of spread the word about what, what we're doing and, and the men and women we're trying to help, whether it's specifically going to military missions in action or, or some other really worthwhile cause that supports our veterans. You know, I'm maybe I'll put a little little burden in your ear here, but Fourth of July weekend is coming up, and having worked in Major League Baseball, I know that like Memorial Day is a big is a big day, and and Fourth of July right. game they have the, you know they were, they even wear alternate uniforms for those days. So having partnering with a league like that with Major League Baseball or you know a, a specific near in Georgia, so maybe the Braves, partnering with a, a team like that on on a a specific day where it makes a lot of sense is a way that possibly you could get the backing of a, of a, a professional sports team. Yeah, that would be yeah. huge. That would yeah. be a huge open open. That would just explode. It would, it would, be, really cool. it would explode. It would be really cool. All right, Tim. I hate to do this to you, man. We are up against it, and we got to get back to work this morning. So um, I want to thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for your time. Um, I know that I booked you a month out, but it felt like short short notice to me. But thank you for being available for us. Uh, today and I I can't wait to hit to hit post on this podcast so everybody can hear hear this. Well, I, I you know I'll definitely be pushing it on social media and and I again guys I greatly appreciate the support. Um, you know everybody thanks me for what I'm doing and and the great work I'm doing, but you know the reality is is I can't do any of this without great support and great people like you all. Um, you know, helping get the word out and helping, helping just promote what I'm doing. Um, so I, I am eternally grateful to you guys and, and just everybody that's supporting this. So thank you guys. Thank you very much. Not sir. a problem. Hey, give us your, uh, give us your, tr- uh, your Twitter and your Facebook one more time. Yeah, absolutely. So again, my Twitter handle is at SIGS, S-I-G-S, the number four soldiers, and my Facebook page, um, if you're on Facebook, just search Signatures for Soldiers, or you can type in facebook.com backslash Signatures for Soldiers. Uh, email Signatures for Soldiers, all written out, at yahoo.com. 
Um, and then my then my uh, website, which um, you guys have guilted me into updating here, is uh, <laughs> signaturesforsoldiers.com. So, That's um, awesome. Yeah, so th- th- those are really kind of the best ways to kind of follow what I'm doing and, um, you know, get in touch with me. Um, I, you know, I try to be pretty responsive with that. So, um, again, guys, thank you so much for having me on, and, and um, you know, thank you for all the wonderful and, and great support. All right, man. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk again soon, okay? Yeah, man. Happy 4th. All right, happy 4th, guys. Hey, this is Mike James, creator of Welcome to the Show Trading Cards. You're listening to Beckett Radio. Excuse us as we were laughing out of that break. We, <laughs> Paul and I were just having a conversation off air that we can't repeat at the moment, but uh, just know that it was very funny. <laughs> if we're chuckling a little Jeez, bit here. Oh, flip. Please forgive us. Um, man. Tim for Signature for Soldiers SFS uh, for short. What a what a great guy, great cause. Just really doing big things for a, something he's passionate about it. And uh, as as I said earlier, being a veteran myself, I'm I I get what he's doing and I'm thankful for what he's doing. So uh, thank you, sir, for for your service to our country in in the way that you're serving us now. And uh, it's it's really appreciated. Yeah, truly amazing, man. It, it it's really truly is. amazing. I mean, I don't have the the military background or anything like that, but I'm very thankful for. For everyone that's out there fighting for us, you know, so yeah. that I can get up and, and, and do what I do yeah, exactly. and not have to worry about anything. Exactly. So that's awesome. And uh, the fact that he's taking even more, you know, time out of his day, you know, to, to do this cause, it's sure. good stuff, man. It's really cool. Yes. Um, the very One of the very first things that I learned in basic training, AIT, in my first, uh, you know, probably month at, at, the du- at my duty station is, is freedom is not free at all. Heck no. Whatsoever. And... Uh, it's a it's a thing that that we fight for, and I, I'm not always a positive 100% go go USA hoorah person. But uh, what what Tim's doing is is really cool. It is. It's really cool. It is. But don't lie though. So, you like the victory circle. Victory circle is the greatest thing ever done in the history of circles forever. For circles forever. If, just, you, if just, you don't know what victory circle is, and you're not doing it, if you're not doing victory circle at traffic at traffic roundabouts. You hate America. I just yep. want you to know that. <laughs> Google it, find out, do it. Yeah, just do victory. <laughs> just don't circle. tell them we told you to yeah. do it. If you need, if you need a video evidence or, or help on how to do it, just let me know, and I will help you out. Perfect. Video, victory circle. We videos. go around one every day to lunch. Mm. It's the greatest thing in the it history is. of forever in circles. All right, let's talk about a little something that's going on right now. There's an auction going on. Um, auctions seem to be a theme of this show. You know, just like kind of a running thing. We don't talk about them every week, but this one is, is something that's caught our eye uh, because of the history that's involved with it. Yeah, for sure. And this is going to lead really well into our interview with Marty. But uh, there's a there's a big ring, uh, the 1927 Babe Ruth uh, Sox Yankees ring. That's just hard to fathom. You yeah. Know? It's up for auction. And I said Sox Yankees ring. It's a World Series ring from 27 World Series. Right. It's a uh, it's up for auction, and the original Boston Red Sox to New York Yankees uh, sell document is in the same auction. Okay. All right. All right. Big money here. Uh, Darren Ravel uh, has this piece up from June 26th, so just a couple of days ago or three days ago on ESPN. Now Darren Darren writes this like uh, like we didn't know that that Charlie Charlie had this ring. We. Kn- uh, if you if you know baseball history, 
you know Charlie is a huge baseball history buff. Ridiculous. And yeah. I've I've known he's had this ring for quite some time and and the document, the cell document, but uh no no slight to Darren. He's he, he does a good job over there at ESPN, so um let me just read it to you. Charlie Sheen has revealed himself as the owner of the of the two most coveted pieces of Babe Ruth memorabilia which will be sold on Friday. So the auction ends tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. So you got time to get your bids in. Get your bids in. Uh Sheen told ESPN on Monday that he consigned Babe Ruth's 1927 World Series ring and an original copy of the cell document that sent the Bambino from the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees to the auction house Leland's.com. All right. Um, first of all, huge name. Huge name, obviously, right? Right, right. And huge money here. This is going to get ridiculous. Do you have an update on that? Uh, bidding on the ring has topped $600,000. <laughs> we'll make which will make it the highest priced sports championship ring ever sold. The high bid on the sell document, which was the copy owned by the Yankees owner, Jacob Rupert has surpassed $400,000. The copy owned by the Red Sox owner, Henry phrase sold in 2005 for $996,000. Wow. So you're at, a, you're at, a, you're at over a million bucks right yeah, now. Right there. Just on those two, those two, uh, those two pieces of memorabilia. Wow. Uh, Charlie says, see, I've enjoyed the incredible items for more than two decades, and the time has come," said Sheen, who famously played pitcher Rick Vaughn in Major League <laughs> movies. That's right, great flick. Whatever price it brings is gravy. That sounds very Charlie Sheen esque. It is. It's gravy. <laughs> it's gravy. The items were purchased in the early '90s, and Sheen did, did said he displayed them in a bar area in his house that he named after the slugger. Sheen said he doesn't remember what he paid for the Ruth items. They were sold by sold to him by Josh Evans of Leland's who is now selling them for Sheen. But he said he will certainly come away with a profit. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 20 years ago, they definitely weren't going for that then. Not, not then. Um, Sheen kept most of his memorabilia, including the two Ruth items, in pristine condition, framing them in meticulous fashion in what he says was better than what he saw at the Baseball Hall of Fame. That sounds like Charlie Sheen bravado there. but um, It is, but... He is a baseball historian, though. Like, he, like he's a, he loves baseball. So. He does, and he has the the financial means to 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 do it upright. Right, you know what I mean. Exactly. I remember hearing this story, like of him having this on more stories with Jay Moore's podcast. And Moore is a is a what's the word there? Like he he's a filmograph. He loves. He loves movies. He loves. He wants to talk about movies, and he wants to. He, and he was interviewing Charlie because of um, Platoon. Like okay. he wanted to talk about Platoon, and he wanted to talk about um, oh Apocalypse Now because Martin was in it. Okay. Okay. So you got Martin Sheen and in, in Apocalypse Now, which is you know, one of the greatest war movies ever, and then you got Charlie Sheen in Platoon, which is one of the greatest war movies ever. Right. And you know you have that weird connection there a little bit. So he he father son. And he wants to talk about these movies, and all Charlie could talk about was his Babe Ruth. <laughs> That's like, like he didn't care anything about the movie stuff at no. all. He wanted to talk about the sports. So uh, it was a little bit of give and take, and they, they found a happy medium, and they, they discussed both. But uh, that's funny. It, it was funny because Charlie just didn't care. He was like, yeah, I, I got the Babe Ruth ring. And yeah, my dad's home. So yeah, I don't care. Yeah, don't, talk, yeah, whatever. Let's talk about this. Whatever. So he did that, and this is, this is something that. We talk about a lot lately, as I said earlier, these auctions and people making investments in auction houses now. 
uh, this is like really spending investment money. And I think this is one that I could safely say if I had the money to do it, that I would do it. Oh, it's a solid investment. Yeah, right. You know, I, I would think 10, 20 years down the road, it'll be, you know, at least time and a half or double what it's going to go right, for right. now, if not more. You exactly. Because you just don't, those things don't exist. I mean, he has pieces that should be in the Baseball the, Hall of the Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, they are Hall of Fame quality pieces. And, yeah. uh, you know, and they're not. They're 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 available to the public, which is awesome. That's, that's right. Um, I hope whoever wins these, and I'm and I'm sure they will because they're they're making the investment. But whoever wins these does take care of these things and sees them for what they are. And you know, I hope they'll probably show back up on the market probably 10, 15, 20 years from now. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, if you and I are still sitting here having this conversation, we won't be able to afford it. Still. <laughs> we still won't, be, <laughs> we able still won't be able to afford it if we're still sitting here. Right. <laughs> so, um. It's really cool, man. Whoever buys these is going to say, I hope they appreciate them. But you're not in the market for something like this if you don't appreciate baseball history. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, and I really hope that we, six months from now we don't see them back up on auction. Yeah. Or somebody just trying to flip them or just whatever. Just flip them real quick. Yeah, this isn't a flipping item. No, it's just a hold and save and show your kids. And, yeah, and, and just Jay Moore enjoy it. Yeah. For a podcast. For, for, for podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. And if you're out there bidding on it, let us know. Yeah. If we have any if listeners that are bidding on this, then if there's any, we want to talk to you. If there's any billionaires listening to this podcast, <laughs> we want to talk to you. We would love to talk to you. <laughs> this is something that, uh, God, what if, this is a huge, this is a, what if it's never going to happen, but what if something like this happened? These get bought mm-hmm. and they end up in a repackaged product. Wow. Brian Gray, if you're listening. Brian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> this is all you, buddy. I mean, I, I it's not. No, gonna, I wouldn't put it. It would be cool. It's not going to happen. I know that it's not going to happen. But, gosh, could you imagine, you know, picking up picking up Leaf. Right. Or picking up, you know. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, Panini's going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff with the Mantle stuff right. that they're doing now. where They're going to give away full documents right. signed by him and, and full items. You know, and obviously they're a little bit price difference between what we're talking about. But it's still cool history memorabilia type stuff you know yeah that'd be insane to do something like that it would be uh the, the, god the price point on that would be like <laughs> it would be insane but yeah. if there's anybody that would do it we know the guy yeah we yeah. sure do know the guy <laughs> we sure do uh speaking of that guy you you showed me a video <laughs> i did show you the video of some jack and any uh burning a lavar ball card burned it just fire pit Threw that sucker right in there, man. Just burned it right up. So now there's only 199 of them yeah. in existence. Yeah. Not, not 200. So your card, your LeVar bar he, call, card just got a little more rare. Yeah, it did. By one. By one. The, the bad part is, just from listening to that and the banter around that, is I don't think he was the only one that did such things. Oh, really? So I would imagine that there's been others that have been sacrificed. I, I don't get it, man. I know that you and I come in on different sides of this, and you see the hilarity in it. That's fine. That's fine. I get that part, I guess. But it seems it, it's such a waste of money. It is, but it's just like any other protest in this country. You know what I mean? People waste time making signs and taking off work and doing stuff like that. It's just this dude just showing, you know, practicing his freedom of speech. I'm actually against protesting. I just don't know how to show it. <laughs> You're against protesting. You're going to protest the protesters? <laughs> Yeah, you know, no, it, it's a tough, it's a tough subject. It's a tough line, but you know, what? at the end of the day, you it's know? it's it's ridiculous. I I can't. 
It's it's no different than what they did to Colin Kaepernick. It's no different no. than what what people were doing when LeBron left Cleveland the first time. They put all his jerseys in a pile and lit the sucker on fire, you know. And then they came back and they were all like, "Oh man, I had a, like a rookie year jersey in there," and sure. you know they all want it back, you know. So it is what it is. It's not the first time it's going to happen. It's not going to be the last time. Yeah, it's not going to be the last time. Not going to be the last time. So going to be some other Jack and Ninny, as you call them. Jack and Ninny. That's a. Yeah. Uh, gonna mess up or do something stupid and they'll be burning his stuff or cutting it up or i came to a realization yesterday paul what's that there is a uh, prevailing among among a certain set of people a prevailing thought that that i hate sports cards and i realized yesterday i don't hate sports cards what i don't really i hate the asnicity that happens <laughs> around sports cards Ah, I see. That's what that's what it really like. I had to look at myself, right? Because I love my job. I really love my job. It, no, this I didn't is get you. this is one of the best jobs anybody could have. And and he's saying that, and our bosses don't listen. Yeah, so our bosses don't. He's listen. not even sucking up. Like I really, I really like coming to work and doing what I do every day. I I even like the sports aspect. It's been said here that I don't like talking about sports, and I I. I I like talking to you about sports. <laughs> you do. You do. I've never seen anybody that, that works at Beckett that surrounds himself with sports. But we go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and the dude's like, i got to put blinders on. I can't handle all this sports much. talk. It's too much. It's too much. And But then there's the whole thought that I don't like cards. I love cards. I actually love cards. I love collecting the aspect of everything and all that. I just don't like the, the just the asnicity that happens around it. I, I think that's what it is. So, Chris Genovese. Called out. Hell to the Redskins. <laughs> and you can kiss every square inch. Dude, of, he's not going to live that long. Of my fat pack. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to live that long to accomplish that. He's not. Uh, well, shout out to Chris. Thanks for putting things in perspective, buddy. Um, <laughs> all right. It was transitioning from that into this great interview that we did with Marty about yesterday. Uh, man, it really was fun. It was it was great. You guys are gonna are in for a treat. If you stuck around this long, you can hang you can hang out for the next twenty seven minutes and enjoy this next conversation for sure, man. Hang tight. We'll be right back with Marty Appel. This is Pat Nishak, winner of the twenty seventeen World Baseball Classic, and you're listening to Beckett Radio with Fat Packs. And joining us now on the phone is, uh, well, Paul, I don't think there's any other way to put this. this. This might be the biggest guest we've ever had on the show. Very possibly. <laughs> it's very possible. Very possibly. Um, Marty Appel, Mr. Marty Appel, is an award-winning author and a baseball historian. He's got 24 books under his, uh, under his belt, countless magazine articles and other, and other features. And he's, he's joining us here today on Beckett Radio to talk about baseball and a great new book that he has out about Casey Stengel. Perfect. That's awesome. How are you doing today, Marty? Great. Thanks for having me, and good to be with you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for making the time for us today. Um, before we get started into the to, into the questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself that I didn't elaborate on? Well, sure. Um, my roots in baseball go back to the 1955 World Series. I lived in Brooklyn. I was seven years old, and the Dodgers won the World Series. And everybody was dancing in the streets, literally. I was watching it from my uh, brownstone apartment. And I felt so bad for the losers, the Yankees. (laughs) So even though I was born in Brooklyn, I became a Yankee fan that day. 
Um, <clears throat> my whole professional life has kind of been a, identified with the Yankees. But in a way, you could say my whole life has been a mistake. I was supposed to have been a Dodgers fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Watching the watching the people dance in the street in 1955 from your apartment, and you're you're sympathizing for it now what's probably the most hated team in baseball the yankees that's that's kind of funny <laughs> yeah it is funny i mean i just took to the losers not really really understanding at all the history between the two franchises wow. awesome had compassion for the for the guy on the other side of things <laughs> that's, that's really good stuff that's good stuff okay and all right let's 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 talk about your career with the yankees yankees it started in the late 60s and it ran through the 70s um almost actually through the 90s, actually, uh, as the PR guy and then later producing TV for them. Uh, how'd that all go about? What was your first job there? And then how, where'd you end up uh, when you finished your career with the Yankees? Well, it's an interesting story. I was in college in the 60s, and not too many college students in the 60s were baseball fans. Baseball was really going through a tough period then. But I was, and I, in the summer of 67, I wrote a letter to Bob Fischel, the Yankees PR director, asking about a summer job. And I sort of didn't even expect an answer. I thought he must get hundreds of letters like that. But he didn't. He got one. That was for me. And he knew he needed someone to uh, answer Mickey Mantle's fan mail, which had been backing up. And he knew that was bad PR to not have it go answered. So he called me in for an interview. It went well. And I got hired to answer Mickey Mantle's fan mail. That was my first job. Wow. What a great job, man. That's just that's incredible. <laughs> it was great, of course, because I made sure I got to spend time with Mickey, even though there was no reason to. All the letters were just asking for an autograph. But, <laughs> but I you... always managed to save up two or three letters that I needed to go over with him personally. <laughs> so oh, of course. Absolutely. He saw right through me, but it was fun, and we became friends out of it. And he used to give me all of his gift certificates that he'd get when he was a guest on a pregame show or something like that. So I'm sorry I used the gift certificates. I should have just had him sign them and put them away. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I would I would have done the same thing. Every day I would have been like, just hey, hang, this lady from right? Wichita wants to know something. Then <laughs> we talk about it. That's awesome. That's funny. So you're, you're Mickey Mantle's handler, for, for lack of a better term there. And then... Uh, you do you take over the PR for the Yankees in the 70s? Is that what happens? Eventually I do, yeah. In uh, 1970, Bill Guilfoyle, who had been Bob Fischel's assistant, left, went to the Pirates. And I got offered the job as assistant PR director. And, I mean, I was just out of college, so it was a terrific opportunity. Of course, I took it. And three years later, I became the PR director. I was only 24 and I was the youngest PR director in baseball. I think I still am, still have that title. Um, because Mr. Steinbrenner bought the team, Bob Fischel left, and Mr. Steinbrenner promoted me. So I am the last guy active and working that worked in the original Yankee Stadium, that worked when Mickey Mantle was still playing, that worked when CBS owned the Yankees before Steinbrenner. So um, a lot of cool things. You got you got to have some stories, man. I mean, that's amazing being <laughs> just putting that all together. Um, so, so from there you go on. You go into television. Is that is that right? Yes, I um, became after PR director. I became the executive producer 
of the Yankee telecasts. Technically, I was working for the New York station WPIX, but I was still, you know, within the Yankee circle and uh, still part of the, the fold there. And even to this day, it continues. I continue to do video work for their website, uh, write for their publications, appear on the Yes Network Yankeeographies. So the relationship is still strong and still there. And actually, if you count them, this is my 50th season in and around baseball. <laughs> 50 seasons, that's amazing. That's half a decade working a dream job, man. That's a, that's a century. A century. Not even yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said half a decade. You I'm tongue tied. Half a <laughs> century. Uh, glad this is the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but that's that's half a century working for working your dream job in baseball. I, at one time in my life, all I wanted to do was work in sports. You, you sir, have uh, been in, been in working around sports for for fifty years. That's amazing. That it is. is amazing. And also, I wouldn't get hired today. Uh, back then, what impressed Bob Fischel first that I could write, so that was a good skill. I was the editor of my college newspaper. But also that I knew Yankee history and I could tell them who led the team in triples in 1954 and stuff like that. And today that would be irrelevant on a job interview. They're really looking for people with marketing, PR, college trained skills more than knowledge of baseball. So uh, I was maybe in the last wave of pure baseball fans that got to work for a team. That's really cool. Now let's talk a little bit about that because you're one of the most respected baseball historians out there. So what what was it that, that gave you that passion, that love for the game that, that kind of took you to want to wanna learn about it and, and share it with everyone? I think it was pure pressure. Um, my parents were not fans, so it was self-imposed and it was <clears throat> all the kids in the neighborhood were baseball fans and I wanted to fit in. So um, at that early age, seven, eight, nine, I started wearing Yankee clothing and collecting Topps baseball cards. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to have my place in the neighborhood. And so I did. I wasn't uh, considered like the best player in the block or the smartest player on the block, but uh, most knowledgeable about baseball. But I knew enough where I fit in and I had the respect of my friends. And um, it was a comfortable place to be growing up in New York City in the 50s. That's awesome. I would have loved to have grown up then, man. <laughs> Playing stickball in the streets and right? stuff. Like you see all those like movies and commercials and stuff. That would have been awesome. Good for you using <laughs> stickball, not baseball. That's awesome. Yeah, you get well, that right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We played everything. We played stickball. We played punch ball. We played slap ball. We played stoop ball. We did it all. That's so great. That's so great. Uh, deal. Marty, you've also uh, had the privilege of co collaborating with the, the plaques that hang in Cooperstown. I mean, I'm, Cooperstown is a Hall of Fame, right? So it, it, this might sound like a, a silly question, but what are some of the more memorable ones that you've collaborated on? Well, I did it for 21 years. It was really um, a joy to be asked to contribute. Uh, and they used to do it by committee in Cooperstown, and then Ed Stack, the president, would send me the final copy just to see if I had anything to add or any thoughts. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Bill Vick, um, who, of course, was famous for sending a midget up to bat, right? Um, Eddie Goodell. Uh, but that's not what gets you in the Hall of Fame. That sort of keeps you out of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we going to do with Eddie Goodell on Bill Vick's plaque, I wondered. And then I just, it, it just came to me. And if you look at the last line of Bill Vick's plaque, it says, 
a champion of the little guy. <laughs> so we got it accomplished. <laughs> That's funny. Well, there you go. That's a great piece of knowledge right there. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, and outside of that, you've worked um, outside of baseball. You've worked in other sports, football to tennis to even the Olympic Games. So, what other experiences um, can you tell us about doing some of that other work? Well, um, they were interesting and they were fun when they came along. But I'm a baseball guy. It's always where I feel I belong. If somebody asked me to write a book. On one of the other sports, it just wouldn't be my comfort zone. So baseball is always where I return and always where I just feel at home. That makes a lot of sense. Perfect sense, yeah. yeah. 50 years of baseball while I do anything else, right? And since we're talking about baseball and we're a collectible show, uh, you, you spend some time at Topps. Um, what kind of imprint do you feel, think that you left on the hobby at Topps, whether we realize it or not? Well... One thing was when I, I was at Tops after the baseball strike of 1993-94, and that like decimated the trading card business. That was oh, that was awful. And when the games came back and the cards were being reissued again, I suggested. I still remember the conference room and where I was sitting. <clears throat> I said, "Let's reprint and reissue all 18 original Mickey Mantle cards." They were sort of a kickstart to kids collecting in the 50s. They were the chase cards even before we had the term chase card. And I thought Mickey might revive the hobby again just by being available as reissues in the 1995 edition of Tops. So everybody went for that, and it was a real boost for Tops. People started looking for those Mickey Mantle cards again. Uh, the the fact that they were the original reprints of the original cards kind of made fathers go after the cards to introduce them to their sons or daughters. And um, it just all came together. It worked. And I felt good that I was able to call upon my childhood hero, Mickey Mantle, and bring him back into the card industry. I can remember as a kid of 8, 9, 10 years old, when I opened a wax pack and had a Mickey Mantle card in there, I can tell you what street corner I was standing on when I opened the pack. That's how meaningful it was to me. Um, <clears throat> just picturing the cards in my mind, even as I'm talking to you now, such joy that was like the highlight of my youth was saving the cards and getting a Mickey Mantle card in a wax pack. That's awesome. I've never heard a story like that. That's amazing. Yeah, to be able to recall the street corner you were on. Absolutely. That's crazy, man. That is absolute one great memory recall. For sure. <laughs> um, now, now, are, did uh, your cards didn't fall by the wayside like everybody else's, did they? Were you able to hold on to yours and keep yours throughout the years? Still got them. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Uh, my mother did not throw them out. Nice. Awesome. That's something we don't hear every day. Yeah, it's something we don't hear. <laughs> and they didn't wind up in the spokes of some bicycle right. or anything like that. Right. He still they're, got them. I wouldn't say they're mint, but they're <laughs> well cared for. She did throw out my comic books, I have to say. But, oh. Uh, well, we'll let that slide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd rather have the baseball cards. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right, man. So you have been you – are, you are a writer. That is what you do. I mean, you've written 24 books um, with all kinds of baseball perspective. Um, but your last book that you wrote, it was about Casey Stengel, and it's really catching some high praise out there. One of the, um, the fans actually called it the greatest baseball book ever written. I mean, what does that feel like when you, when you see stuff like that? Well, 
feels ridiculous. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. When you write a book, it's a very lonely profession. You sit at the computer screen, you do your best, you gather your facts, you write, you edit, you send it to the publisher. And you don't know if you've written a really good book or not. You know you've given it, done the best you can. But when you start getting notices like great book or best book ever written, um, you say to yourself, wow, I guess uh, I did good. But at the time you're doing it, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm working on a masterpiece here. It's not that feeling at all. It's more like, in Casey Stengel's case, let me just tell the stories and get out of the way. They're so good. <laughs> That's all. You know, I never thought about how, how I guess, that, how lonely it is just to sit there and write your book. You know, no. I guess I never had that. It's so that. opposite from having worked in public relations for so many years, which is a very extroverted profession. I mean, you're out there with people all the time, glad-handing, sharing stories. And writing is a very lonely profession. So um, I've managed to compartmentalize my life so that I can do both and switch from one to the other without any problem. There you go. That's get, you got to do that, right? Yeah, for I'm, sure. you got to do that. All right, let's talk about this book, man, because um, I, I haven't read the whole book, I, I'll be honest with you, but I flipped through it and some things have uh, jumped out to me. Um, first of all, there's this great story about Casey writing a letter, resigning, and then answering the letter, accepting his resignation. Can you tell us? About, I mean, how does that happen? <laughs> well, his first managing job was in Worcester, Massachusetts. And Judge Emil Fuchs, who also owned the Boston Braves, made him the manager, made him a playing manager, <clears throat> and also made him the team president so he could give him an extra $1,000 or something in salary. Little knowing that that would come back to bite him, because at the end of the season, Casey got offered a job to manage Toledo, a much higher classification. So he wanted to take the job, and managers who get offered higher classifications smoothly move over there. Nobody stands in their way. In this case, Fuchs didn't want to lose Casey, so he told him he wouldn't let him go. So Casey, as manager, writes a letter to the team president, which was himself, <laughs> resigning. And the team president himself answers, accepting the resignation, thanking him for his service and his great job, and <laughs> lets him go. And then Casey sends the letters to Commissioner Landis to show that he's a free man. So this was just Casey being Casey. When he was playing for John McGraw in the 20s, McGraw liked him but thought he was a smart aleck. And a lot of things happened in Casey's career, including this one, which I just told, uh, that proves the point. He was, in the end, a smart aleck. <laughs> I sounds like our kind of dude. Yeah, I like this guy a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a fun story, man. Yeah. To, to, first of all, the audacity, but... But secondly, the wherewithal to realize that he could do that is is simply amazing to me. I mean, that's a smart guy right there. Smart guy. He was um, he was considered old. He was called old Casey Stengel, even in the 1920s, and his career still had a long way to go. So, with the fact that he looked very old, all wrinkled and kind of stooped over, when a very smart, mature, wise man. 
he would pull some stunts, and he always had a little bit of a rogue nature to him. Um, in fact, to jump ahead for a second, uh, in his retirement years, I got to speak to uh, his business manager, who was always at his side. And the business manager mentioned to me one day that Casey liked hippies. He was fascinated by hippies and couldn't get enough of it on the TV news. He thought they were great. And that makes sense because they were the counterculture of the time. And Casey was always a little bit of counterculture himself. He never really marched with the pack. So the fact that he liked hippies actually did make some sense, not politically, but just in terms of – you know, they went their own way, he went his own way. So it was a very interesting thing. I, those four words, three words, he liked hippies, really jumped out at me. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be the tagline for this show. Yeah, hashtag. <laughs> he liked hippies. He liked hippies. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. So there's some other stuff in the in the book as well where, where Casey's talking about um, practicing for the pitching and batting stances from the old tobacco cards. Um, it turns out he wasn't too different from the kids of today. Um with you know doing the same with their cards do you think it was just typically casey's character or just wanting to have fun or was he just preparing himself for the big leagues was he that confident that he knew he was going to make it so he wanted to practice I don't know. he was a man of great self-confidence <laughs> copying the batting stances and everything from the tobacco cards was pretty interesting i thought also interesting was that growing up in kansas city missouri his neighbor was kid nichols the 300 game winner from the 19th century so here's Casey Stengel, who would later be managing Tug McGraw and Cleon Jones and Ron Swoboda, having a neighbor in Kid Nichols who would give him advice and tips and pointers. So the span of this man's career in baseball was just hard to fathom. It was so extensive. That's kind of cool, man. I'd like to have a 300-game winner live next to me. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that would be cool. That's absolutely crazy. Um, all right. There's the polo ground story, too. He hated the polo grounds, if I'm getting that correct. And he had his team change at Yankee Stadium, then drive to the polo grounds for a game. Did that really happen? That was McGraw. Oh, that was McGraw. Okay. McGraw had his Giants. He hated Yankee Stadium. He hated everything about the Yankees. Okay. So um, he had the Giants change into their uniforms at the polo grounds so they would spend as little time as possible in Yankee Stadium or in the visiting clubhouse there. I see. I got that backwards. Okay. So what a what a kind of like a big middle finger to, to Yankee Stadium. And just I'm not going to even change there. That's pretty funny. I know. <laughs> and um, since we're on that subject and on that World Series, Casey hit the first World Series home run ever in Yankee Stadium as a member of the Giants. And it was an inside-the-park home run where he thought he lost a shoe while he was running the bases. It was actually a little rubber insert in the shoe to protect against an injury. But he didn't look down. He just kept running. And when he slid home, he said to Hank Gowdy, the on-deck hitter, I think I lost a shoe. And Hank Gowdy said, well, how many were you wearing? (laughs) (laughs) A quick follow-up question uh, to that was, uh, was Stegel was the first player to – was he the first and only player to play for all four New York teams? Is that right? Well, he didn't play for the – Or, or, or manage, manage them. I'm so sorry. the way to say it is to wear the uniforms well, there you go. of all four New York teams, Dodgers, Giants, Yankees, and Mets. However, when I 
talk about that, I always say, as of now, because mm-hmm. I'm still hopeful that the Dodgers and Giants come back to New York and other people have a chance to accomplish that. That's a, that's a purist uh, right there. <laughs> see, see the error of their ways and return home. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. All right, so has this been the favorite book to write? Because it sure seems like, you know, from the outsider's point of view, that, that it's, your, it's your best work. Well, what do you think? Well, it was a great character to write about. It was fun. There was almost a laugh on every page with the guy. Um, but my personal favorite was the next to last that I did, um, Pinstripe Empire, mm. which was the whole history of the Yankees from 1903 to the present. And um, it's come to be seen as the definitive history of the team, which I'm very proud of. But it was the first narrative history of the Yankees since 1954. I'm sorry, since 1943. 54, it was updated. But 1943, Frank Graham wrote a history of the Yankees. Um, And so when I did mine in 2012, it was the first since then. And I was really proud that it was well-received and that it continues to be updated if they should happen to have a big season this year and wind up in the postseason maybe we'll update it again for next year but it's it's called pinstripe empire and i'm really happy with the way that came out awesome good deal man. i love the name that's that's a, that's a perfect name for a absolutely book, right? perfect <laughs> yeah for sure the evil empire is also another well one, yeah right? that would be true too <laughs> all right uh before we let you go, man, I got to ask you about some time you apparently you're a Beatles fan and you got to spend a little got to spend a little bit of time with John Lennon. What was that what what was that all about? How'd that come about and just what happened? Well, everybody who knows me well knows I'm an extraordinary Beatles fan and one of these annoying guys who knows every little trivial thing about them. I saw them perform at Chase Stadium. Um <clears throat> Their songs are sort of in a separate category in my mind. You know, I could name my top 100 songs of all time, and then there has to be a separate list of my top 100 Beatles songs. Mm. (laughs) So anyway, in 1971, when I was still with the Yankees, John and Yoko appeared on a radio show on WMCA in New York, which was the station that carried the Yankees. Um. Anyway, so the people at WMCA who knew me invited me down, and I got to spend the evening with John and Yoko in the radio station at the studio. Wow. that, that Was that bigger than Mickey Mantle for you? Yeah, I think it was, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's huge. <laughs> there were only six of us in the, there that night. Oh, wow. John was in a prankster, playful mood. He was in a very good, happy mood. And uh, somebody managed to get a photograph of John making a prank phone call from a telephone in the studio, <laughs> and I'm right behind him over his shoulder laughing. Man. What, uh, Yoko was actually the guest on this show. John just accompanied her. I see. And she was talking about whatever new age thing she was talking about, and then they decided to open it up for calls. So John said he wanted a call. So he called and put on an American accent. And he got through, of course, <laughs> and he said, uh, hello, Steve from uh, the, from Brooklyn here. 
are the Beatles ever going to get back together? <laughs> Which was the last thing she wanted to feel. <laughs> so that's why we're laughing in the photo, and that was a pretty clever thing to, to witness. That's, that is so – That's man, I, I don't have a story like that. I don't think – like just from a fandom standpoint, you know, I have my fan, uh, I have my the guys that I love, but to be able to witness something like that and have it such a a private, intimate time with you know just six people in the studio, that's so great, man. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm happy for you hearing that story. That is good yeah, stuff, man. Um, maybe I answered too soon on saying it was better than Mickey Mantle. I'll put them both evenly, <laughs> but Mickey I knew for so many years and spent so much time with him. But still, I used to drive home from work from Yankee Stadium, and I'd say to myself, wow, Mickey Mantle knows my name. That's, <laughs> that wow. was a good feeling, too. That's true. That's true. Good okay, stuff, man. before we let you out of here, um, do you have anything coming up that you're working on that our, our listeners need to know about, another book or another promotion or something like that, a speaking engagement? No, not really. I mean, I'm on book tour for Casey Stengel. It's been going on for three months and happily doing great. Just came back from Glendale, California, Casey's winter home, where I spoke at their cultural center and got to visit inside Casey's old home, which is now a landmark property in Glendale. So that was a wonderful trip. Um, and I don't have an idea for a next project yet. So uh, you're welcome to throw one at me and hopefully a publisher will like it. But for now... Just working on the Casey Stengel book. That's so awesome. Good deal, man. That's you coming near uh, Dallas at all? Uh, no plans, no but plans. I always okay. enjoy trips there, so let's find a reason. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if the book tour was taking you that way or not, so That's cool. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for your time this morning. We really appreciate it, and this has just been great fun for us. I hope that the feeling is likewise. Absolutely, and thanks for putting up with my somewhat scratchy throat. It's a High allergy pollen day here in New York City, and that's the cause. Ah. <laughs> there you go. No worries, man. All right. No worries. Thank you, sir. Have a good You're day. You're welcome. Great to talk to you. Uh, All right. Bye-bye. This is RBI Crew 7 from St. Louis, Missouri, and you're listening to Fat Packs on Beckett Radio. Gosh darn it. Marty Appel, best interview I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> by far and away I loved doing that interview that was so fun again I said I said earlier in the show it was I, I had high hopes and it met every one of those hopes like I, I almost I say almost want to be a Yankee fan almost want to be a yeah, Yankee I mean fan? growing up an Orioles fan it's kind of hard to be a Yankee fan but I almost want to be a Yankee fan that's how cool he is let's let's talk about that last part of the interview briefly okay okay you're you're Mickey Manor Mickey Mantle's handler for you know to start your career with the Yankees. Boom. But you get to hang out with John Lennon in a <laughs> private, intimate setting where there's only six of you. And you're a part of a prank. Yes. A, a Beatles John Lennon prank. prank. And you're, you get a picture of you two just laughing it up, man, just making fun of. Uh, How do you pick? I mean, I, I don't know. I put him on the spot and I said, you know, is that your favorite, your, your favorite moment or whatever? How do you pick him? How do you pick one? I, I don't know. That's awesome. Two, two of your, I don't know. I, I don't know who your childhood legend. Let's say John Cleo and freaking, you know, some redskin is walk, John Riggins are walking in the room, and you got to hang out with one of them. What do you do? I mean, Riggins has got the alcohol, but Cleo is got. Yeah. What do you What do you want to do? Yeah, that would be that would be tough for me. I'd probably go with Rigo though because I I've hung out with Cleo plenty. So, okay, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I probably would go that route. That makes a lot of sense. That was a fun interview, man. It was on like, again. It was the best interview I feel like that we have done. I know that we, that's no slight to any of our other interview guests, but 
the way that he just like the memory recall was ridiculous. He can remember the name of the street he was on when he pulled a Mickey Mantle card. I know, and he was talking about something about 1912, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, yeah, man, I I put me to shame. I got nothing. I got nothing at <laughs> that, all. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but when John Rocker was being disciplined for, for his shenanigans that he pulled on that subway train. Oh, yeah, yeah, Or yeah. talking about a subway train. Yeah. It was it was Marty who helped the Major League, helped Major League Baseball um, come up with the correct discipline because they couldn't find anything. And Marty reminded them of some, like, obscure 1938 a radio interview that a player that a player did and made racial slurs on and th- how they disciplined him. so that's where they came up with the president's presidents for the discipline of John Rocker it's it was an insane insane interview and I hope you guys enjoyed it because the sure whole did. thing with Mickey Mantle and tops like hey let's put Mickey Mantle yeah. in there what yeah like that's just awesome and yeah that's it's good stuff man right have, place the right time right place, yeah and with the right wisdom and the right knowledge to be able to yeah, to impart it on people. Yeah, it's so, crazy. It's awesome. crazy stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed it because we sure is heck did. All right, this is my favorite interview, my favorite segment of every show that we do. This is Beckett Whatevs, where we talk about well, whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, um, let's talk about first this huge trade that that came up between the Rockets and the Clippers for CP3, uh, seven players and a draft pick, and you get CP3. Too much. You think it's too much? Too much. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I've heard like this morning coming in, I heard you know heard rumblings of like this was CP3 didn't want to play for Doc Rivers anymore. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, the kind of the bigger picture thing that I'm seeing that I've heard some people talk about, but I haven't really seen a whole lot of talk about is this is this is smart on CP3's part because he opted in and he took eleven million dollars less. Okay. Okay. So he can play this year for the Rockets on a one-year deal. Okay. Okay. And be a free agent again next year. Ah. He also did not take that $11 million. So the Rockets now have another $11 million to go get somebody to else. sign somebody else. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's tampering at the highest level, right? Right, right. But, no, but everybody's okay with it. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I mean Kevin Durant's doing the same thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's not signing until they're done signing. Right. Getting the pieces and then he'll sign for eight million dollars next year sure. or something or something obscure just sure. because you know, they're 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 gonna compete for a championship and he'd rather get a ring than get more money. Exactly. You know, his his endorsement deals are gonna pay his whatever he needs to pay for. So Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, so I I like it. I mean you you know, they they put caps on things and you just have to work around it. Now you know? do you think that this is gonna lead to the uh the, the four amigos, the banana boat crew, getting together finally on a team the year after next, or the season after next. I hope not. So we're, we're talking Dwayne Wade, CP3, uh, Carmelo, and LeBron. I just, I hope not. You hope not? I hope not. I, I think that, the, like, more now than ever, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. What team? I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess it doesn't matter. It, it could be back in Los Angeles. The the Lakers are going to have the cap room to to do that. That's true. The Clippers are going to definitely have the cap cap room to do that. That's true. And, you know, they just lost. And, they lost pretty much their whole team. Exactly. And you know, Jerry West just signed with the Clippers. You don't. I mean, who's to say that they don't oust Rivers? Right. And you know, they they end up back in the back in L.A. Junior, and you know, they're all four there. That would be crazy. It could happen. And they could still lose. They could still lose. Because Golden State could still beat them. 
you know, LeBron would be 36 by then. I think I think CP3 is 31 or 32 now. So now Wade's getting Wade would be Wade's old. getting older there. Yeah, yeah, he's a little older, right? I think so. at this point in his career, even at 24 million dollars a year, which is what he's getting paid next season. Wade is a piece. He's not. He's not like the go-to guy. Oh no, no, no. He's but the he's leadership role, the locker yeah. room guy, the to to put everybody together and make sure. it work. Yeah, sure. Um, since we had a, a great Yankees interview, I want to talk about the Yankees again and Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge did something last night that I am a huge fan of. He hit his twenty seventh homer. Okay. Whew, yeah. But, but <laughs> uh, Joey Joey Batista esque. Okay. He was being heckled by a fan. Okay. Hit the homer and and Judge stared the fan down the whole time. Around the bases? <laughs> Around the bases. I did not see that. I'm gonna look that up right <laughs> I now. Absolutely loved it, man. It's like like shut up, you know. You just this is this is what it did. And yeah. it was Man. You can't you, you don't you don't tickle the bear while he's asleep, right? No, no, no. You don't at do all. that. Not especially that bear. Exactly. That's a big bear. That's a really big bear. <laughs> That's a really big bear. I loved it, man. It was it was it was funny to see uh Aaron Judge. I know that some of you some of you old heads out there don't care for the new baseball guys, you know, Br- Bryce Harper gets under your skin and everything. I like it. I like the flair. I like I think it's funny. Yeah. It's, I, it's nice to see, man. Yeah. These guys having fun and just yeah. you know, it, it's just not a they're doing so it's just not a paycheck. So many guys just you know, they're just mailing it in, man. Yeah. It's day in, day out. Got to play a baseball game. Uh, yeah. You know, but it, it's nice to see it. It's it's really fun to see. Speaking of fun to see, we're going to journey over to the Animal Kingdom now. Man, it's crazy stuff. Man. I love I love finding these stories. We should do a whole. We could do a whole podcast. We could on, do a whole podcast on, on that. You know, just uh, you know, because what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? I know what that's they right. say. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly what they say. That's what and, they say. Uh, speaking of gooses and ganders. This story was amazingly funny. I'm going to tell you this story, then I'm going to tell you a story about a young Mr. Eric who uh, had a similar story to this. <laughs> okay. Okay, this uh, Dateline... Be afraid. <laughs> well, we're, Dateline, oh gosh, this is back from April, but That's it's right. still funny. Goose instructs, uh, instructs police detective to kindly step off. <laughs> this is by Stephen Hoffman, or Hoffer, over at HuffPost, um, an Indiana police detective was just trying to grab his keys when he encountered an aggressive goose with no respect for authority. Detective <laughs> Ray Ray Hall of the Clarksville Police Department was walking to the front door of the police station when the bird torpedoed him, sending the detective flying back into a bush, reported by Fox 59. Surveillance equipment captured. <laughs> that's the funny part. The surveillance the equipment. equipment. Yeah. <laughs> surveillance equipment captured a recording of the incident, which Lieutenant Shane Bassett posted on YouTube. That guy's fired. This happened in April. That dude doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> I would imagine that's that's a very very good possibility. <laughs> With the caption, Detective Hall forgot his keys. Then he attempts to enter the building and is challenged by our local geese. Bassett wrote, "Bad decision." <laughs> In all seriousness, the ABC affiliate WHAS in Louisville, Kentucky, picked up the story and spoke with their Louisville Zoo zoo bird keeper, Craig Michael, who told the network that the goose was protecting its nest, and it doesn't take an expert to know you don't stand between a bird and its nest. That is 100% 
true for sure you'd never ever stand between a bird and his nest now i told I, I i read you that story the video is hilarious this this dude just really gets dive bombed by a goose it's poor guy man <laughs> Ge- geese are are very aggressive apparently when i was a young lad <laughs> when you were a young warthog when i was a young warthog um I may or may not have, mostly may, went to a park, a local park by our our, uh, our home, okay, and uh, captured a goose down by the pond. Really? I remember, I like, I picked, I picked it up, and I was holding it. I was holding it right. I had it by its neck, so it wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, uh, you know, peck me to Get, death. And right, then, I, right. then I had its body cradled to my to my chest. And I come walking up the, I, I couldn't have been, oh God, I was six or seven. You know, I, I wasn't real old. Okay. I come walking up, walking up the stairs from the pond back into the park area. And I'm smiling ear to ear. Oh, well, yeah. I've caught a goose. I've taken this goose home. This is right my, goose. my pet goose. Exactly. And my dad freaked out. He's like, put that bird down. <laughs> He's yelling at me. And I'm just, I'm smiling, completely dumb to whatever's going on around me. I caught me a goose, man. But I paid the price. Because as soon as I let that bird go, it turned around, got me right in the butt and just took really? off. Yep. Oh, man. It was, it was done. So uh, That's crazy. I, that's the why, that's why I shared the, the, that story today. Because geese, geese are no, they're no, no joke. They're, they're no joke. You don't play around with geese, you man. You do not. You, you don't do, do that. Awesome, man. Man, I wish we weren't running out of time, but next week I've, I've got us a story. Just, Go ahead, man. We got a little bit of time. We got a little time. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So back home in Maryland, I worked at this restaurant. Okay. And I was a manager there. And we had a uh, a little pond area, you know, off the restaurant. We had a little patio, and there was a little pond, probably a good, you know, 100 yards maybe from the restaurant. And uh, this waitress one day decides to open the door to let somebody in. Okay. And oh, you told me this. This is great. And <laughs> instead of you know just letting that person in, this groundhog <laughs> takes off and runs smack into the restaurant. Oh man! Now let me mind, let me set the stage for you. It's Friday around lunchtime. Okay. And we're in a uh, like an office park. Okay. Place is on a wait. Mm. All right. There's 250 guests in there. The place is on a wait. There is a party in the event room of about 30 to 35 women. Uh, that are back in this event room. This groundhog runs into the restaurant, hightails it right to that room, and apparently the <laughs> shrieking and the yelling was just unbelievable. Okay, Crazy. So obviously it frightens it. It runs out. One of the other managers, I wasn't there that day. I, I get the phone call right after it happens, which that's a phone call amongst right. phone calls to get. One of the managers grabs a bunch of oven mitts. So he puts on two big oven mitts, and he starts running after this groundhog all right smart i i guess um so it runs all the way to the front of the restaurant it gets under like a, a bar booth right and people are flipping out everywhere well he goes under crawls under the bar booth and he, he's a bigger dude you know he tackles this thing kind of like you did with the goose and he got it okay. all right he got it so he walks it outside restaurants coming back down to, to to you know reality or whatever he walks it outside he drops a sucker off kind of like across the street where there's like a parking garage type thing or whatever. <laughs> you know, he kind of like does his little hands, you know, like, ah, I did it. I'm the hero. All right. So he's walking back and he's, you know, I can just see him getting his little swag on. I, I, I wasn't there, but I can see him doing his little swag walk. And that sucker followed him back to the restaurant, 
got right within about five feet of the restaurant, get ready to walk in the door again. And that sucker bit him in the back of the leg. <laughs> Just bit him right in the back of the leg. And the poor guy, <laughs> and then it took off, you know, just took off, whatever. That guy, man, he spent the next couple of days in the hospital getting tetanus shots and just awful, man. But this ground, he was determined. So don't don't mess with don't, them. Don't mess don't with mess them. And then if you think you've won, you, you just really haven't. Yeah. So as a sensitive type, I get this phone call. So, you know, I'm, I'm coming into work a couple hours later or whatever, and I'm just laughing the whole time to myself or whatever. Sure. And, and being as sensitive as I was, we did go and buy him a copy of Groundhog and send it to him in the hospital. Oh, so awesome. he would have it to... Uh, to watch and to remember the situation by the revenge of Puxatani Phil. Yes, upon which I got a few uh, mean text messages mean about text that. Message. But you know, it was all in good fun. Let's, let's just so let's he was okay. Just you know, everybody know he was okay. He didn't have any problems. He got through you know, a couple of days of, of pain and aggravation, but he was he was fine. The uh, so. those signs posted about don't feed the wildlife, don't interact with the wildlife. Yeah. they're there for a reason. They are, and whether it's at a restaurant in a in a Maryland shopping center. Right, <laughs> or a goose down by the park. <laughs> down by the park. You just shouldn't mess with them, man. You no, just leave man. them alone. They're not good. Uh, that's our journey into the animal kingdom this week. I love it every. Well, not every. We don't do it every week, but I love it. I love when we journey into the animal kingdom. That's good stuff. All right, we got to get out of here. We are going to have a short week next week because of the holiday. Yep, yep. We're still trying to figure out uh, what to do for a show. We're going to do a show. We're just got to got to figure all the ins and outs. Uh, out. Yeah, because a lot of people are here and gone and all over the place. So yeah, we'll get it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get something together. We'll get something together. Without a doubt. Um, I do want to, before we get out of here, and I'm sorry to end it on a on a somber moment, but can you tell me the name of the family who uh who is having a memorial service tomorrow? Oh yes, tomorrow it is. Um, you get their phone. It's Je- uh, it's uh, Jonathan and Jessica Baker. Jonathan and Jessica Baker. Yeah, they um unfortunately um. And we don't really know all the all the details. Um, they lost their three year old last last Thursday night late. Um, he, you know, it was one of those things where he had a cold and, and nobody really knew what happened. And they finally they took him down to Children's uh, here in Dallas. And um, unfortunately, his heart stopped. And they got him back for a little bit, and then uh, then he was gone. He was so gone. he was only three years old. So. Um, Near and dear to my heart, uh, Miss uh, Jessica is actually my, my little daughter's school teacher, and my daughter's three as well, and uh, definitely hung out with uh, with Isaac a lot, and uh, it's been it's been hard, it's been bet, hard for yeah. them obviously. Um, it's been a little bit of a strain on on us just trying to be there for them and get everything else that we need to get done, sure. you know. But the service is tomorrow uh, in in the Waxahachie, and okay. uh, yeah, my heart does go out to them because it's been a it's it's a tough road, and then it, it, it's, you know. Hopefully it'll get easier eventually, but I know it's going to be tough for the next few weeks, months to come. So. Um, there's a lot of things I want to say right now, but I mean, none of them are going to hit home for, or for for them in that situation because I know exactly what they're going through. But I just, I mean, I, w- I would want them to know that you know, there are people out there, and I'm sure that they see this now, but there are people out who, there who love them and care about them. I've never met them, but uh, this, is a, this is a situation that, it absolutely sucks, and I'm gonna try not to cry this time like I did last time talking about this. But right. um, I know you don't understand right now. Like I, I know that, and I don't understand. But just I know that you're 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 faith filled people. So trust. <laughs> sound like sound like a Sixers fan. Trust the process. <laughs> There you and go. I don't, I don't yeah. mean to make light of it, but just right. trust the process, man. Because yep. there's, there's something, there's something greater is going on, 
and I don't I don't have the answers for our situation, and I know that you don't have the answers for your situation, but trust the process. Yeah, and thinking of Dawson too, I forgot I didn't mean to leave out Dawson. Dawson is a not not ten ton. Okay. He had a, had an older brother that was ten, so yeah. All right, well, yeah, man. God bless you, Dawson. God bless that family. Um, you're gonna be out of the office tomorrow to attend that service. So, yes, uh, yes, I am. Just prayers for you and your family because I know that you guys are close to him as well. So, uh, yeah, that sucks. I know I don't mean to end the show on a on a somber note like that, but uh, just wanted to make that known that that, that uh, there are people out there that love you guys. So, um, trust the process. Go trust Sixers. Go Sixers. Yeah, there you go. Go <laughs> Sixers. All right, man. Uh, we will be back next week with another show. Uh, full tilt, full full swing, going uh, full court press. I'm not thinking all the fools I can think of. Yeah, something like I don't, that. I don't Stephen A. Smith. Damn. Yeah, oh, you said fool or fool? Fool. Fool, <laughs> fool <laughs> or foul? <laughs> Definitely a foul situation. All right, moving on. All right, uh, so back next week. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. And until then, just keep listening. Cue the trick. <laughs> <laughs>